Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we talk about the most important person in the game, the Dungeon Master, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Chris. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch. And we are on a boat. Yes, we are. <laughs> As you saw on Twitter, or some of you may have seen on Twitter, we are spending some time up in my grandparents' cottage to get away before work and life and I go back to school and everything gets all busy yep. um, and we promised you that we would be working on some things while we were away for our break in September and it may just so happen that we're doing it well on a boat. Yep, we tried <laughs> fishing and podcasting, didn't work out so well. It did so not well. work. The fish bit so fast, <laughs> yeah, so which hard was fantastic. It was, but <laughs> yeah, it was it was next to impossible to do both. So we gave up on fishing because we did that all afternoon, and we love you so much. So we wanted so right to make now, sure. That we yeah, get. right now we're sitting on a boat in the middle of a lake. What? Lake Masaki. Masaki, and we're watching the sunset, and we got seagulls flying overhead of us. Although they're what are they lakeals? Because they're don't know not what they are. They're nasty, whatever they are. <laughs> it's a rats pretty, with wings are flying over our. It's heads. a pretty cool sight, nonetheless. The next couple of episodes, you can just dub the Cabin Chronicles yeah, yeah, yeah. because we will be recording quite a bit while we're up here. Yep. So we'll be enjoying ourselves. Hopefully, you enjoy our episode today. Yeah. We're talking about something really cool. I think we're talking about timelines. If you are making your own world. And playing campaigns in that world, which if you're making your own world, hopefully you're playing campaigns in that world. Yeah. Have you ever thought about jumping through the timeline of your world, going to different points in history in your world, and what does that entail? How does that change your campaigns, and what does that add to your world and getting your players into the lore of your world? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Pretty excited about yeah, it. And I know some of you some of you don't really ever use timelines, and yeah. that's okay, but this is an episode totally okay. to, to try and convince, not necessarily convince, but to make you possibly think about doing a timeline, because it can add a lot of lore. And for those of you that are already doing a timeline this is a way to help you enhance your timeline yeah. and make i don't it know better. if you can hear it in our voices right now i'm just gonna go back to this whole boat thing <laughs> <laughs> me and chris are just <laughs> kicking back i've never podcasted like this before <laughs> mics are in our hands because we don't have like the space to put them down on a stand we're just kicking back literally and i just feel like you can hear it in our voices we're just so chill we're right so now. relaxed i've never podcasted like this before but it just seems so natural. We might have to pop. We might have to come up to your cabin every time we podcast. That's a like two-hour drive <laughs> for every episode. So worth. <laughs> All right. Before we get into the episode, let us get into some five-star reviews, which are going to seem doubly awesome today. Since yeah, you we're guys on a get boat. your five-star reviews while we're on a boat. Yeah. So you are like on special. a special. As Andy Samberg says, we're on a boat. You're uh, on a boat yes. with us there in these five-star reviews. All right, Chris, so start us off. Our first one comes from Bcraft89, and he writes a must listen for all dms just do it dot 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 <laughs> just do right it now. Uh, and he says if you're looking for a wonderful source of good advice and even better inspiration you found it as a fairly new dm this podcast has been invaluable the vast amounts of inspiration that just oozes from every episode has really stepped up my game and delighted my players dm mitch and dm chris pack tons of useful info into each episode while keeping it interesting fun and entertaining they were also a large part of making me take the plunge into world building, which seemed far too daunting before, but with their great advice, made it a challenge I now welcome. Thanks for doing the show, guys. Keep it up. 
P.S. The food mage is one of the greatest ideas <laughs> of all time. Yes. That it is. Thank it is a B-Craft. great idea. That's an awesome review. Our next one comes from Old Soul Sunrise. I wish it was Sunset because yeah, right. right now right. it would just be so yeah. fitting, but it's okay, Sunrise. So, And he said he's, it's entitled, Like Watching a Cat Ride a Unicorn into Battle. <laughs> That's fantastic. It says, This podcast is nothing short of inspiring. The ideas that come from these two men and their colleagues are some of the most informative and innovative content I have ever seen for a tabletop game. Episode after episode, I continue to find myself sneaking into my job's engine room to write down notes. Not saying it's wise, but I'll burn that bridge when I get to it. (laughs) From the immortal shark octopus to the tomb spider and all the way to a trench that whales use to communicate. This podcast (laughs) is a must-listen for anyone who is a DM or simply wants to make themselves better. And to top it all off, the hosts are extremely friendly on social media. Thanks. (laughs) In closing, proud to be a blockhead. Yeah, you should be. Keep up the good work. Thanks, old soul sunrise. Sunset. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. I love Uh, our fans. I do too. The next one is entitled Best D&D podcast out there by Matty Raven. I've been a DM for about six months now, and this podcast has been a huge help in learning how to guide my story and handle my players. I've used countless tips and gotten lots of inspiration from you guys. Keep it up. Thanks, Matty Raven, and <laughs> all of the five-star reviews yeah, that we've had today. So we much. We, got, we cannot say this enough. We love our fan base, and you guys have done so much for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we thank you continually from the bottom of our oh, heart. Yeah. Uh, but with that, we got some stories to tell. Let's yeah. get into story time. Let's get into story time. Story time. The time during the episode where we talk about what happened last week during our campaigns, our favorite moments, what we learned about ourselves, and what we learned about each other. Please join us now as we enjoy story time. So, Chris, for story time this week, we played my campaign. And we came to a really, really crucial part in my campaign. Basically, you guys had in the past, so you guys went through that giant maze. You were on a quest for the gods. You came to the city of the gods in Havana, which yep. you guys figured out was like my world's heaven, where all those who were worthy will travel to in the afterlife, but nobody was yeah, there. Yeah, nobody was there. And so you guys were tasked with going to this plane called the Damon Plane where there was no access to gods. Gods could not go to this plane or one they would die. One god even died trying yep. to bring us there. Yep, yeah. one god died trying to bring you there. Well, get actually bringing you there. Um, there is no try. Uh, <laughs> and you guys were tasked with finding this object called the Guiding Light, the, the gem that was able to bring those worthy souls and guide them to the plane of Ivana. So Nerul was the one who hit it there, and since then, Nerul has had control of for all souls of the dead and they've brought he's brought them to the underworld and so you guys had arrived at the daemon plane this weird place with upside down floating mountains and purplish ash as their ground and faces built in the side of hills that were wailing and you guys rix's necklace of the mountain of Beirul, the city of the gods started to float again and point yep. in a certain direction so you knew okay that must be the way to the guiding yep. light let's follow it so tell the listeners a little bit about your adventures that night yeah we started traveling down like this valley in uh the mountains and we came up to this place that 
almost looked like a forest, but there was something a little bit different about this forest. And it yeah. was like a, it was a forest made completely of mushrooms. And so mushrooms. Immediate, yeah, immediately we were like mushrooms, spores. We've had interactions <laughs> with these in the past, not in this campaign, but we Mitch know mushrooms. Mitch likes are, Yeah, we know <laughs> mushrooms. Are, yeah, exactly. We know mushrooms are not man's best friend. So we were very wary of going into this forest. And so the first thing that we did is we were like, okay, Caleb, you can conjure up these creatures. Why don't you conjure up a, like a rat or something like that, a dire rat, and send it into the forest, see if anything happens when it goes in there. And sure enough, we all of a sudden saw that it like got picked up. It went like 20 feet. Yeah, <laughs> and got picked up by something. And Well, you didn't know that. Yeah. It just it just disappeared in thin yeah, air. But you heard a, like yeah. a slurping sound. Like, yep. <laughs> and you're like, that sounded like something ate it. Yeah, but yeah, I didn't yeah. see anything. Yeah. So we were like, okay, well, we know there's something in there now. <laughs> so maybe it is gone. <laughs> I don't know exactly <laughs> what we were thinking, but we're like, Oh, the reason we decided to go through it, and st- we we talked about flying over it, but Caleb had his crocodile companion now ah, that, that couldn't a, yep, that couldn't crocodile. fly, and he could we couldn't fight figure out a way to carry it across. So we were like, okay, well, let's just go through and figure out a way through it. Maybe we can just make it through. So we went in, and all of a sudden, as we were going through, we all heard these noises coming from every direction around us. Um, and so we were like, okay, there's something weird going on here. What in the world is this? And then I think we began to feel like these vines or like these yeah, things like start gross, to entangle wet, us. stringy yeah. things that were irritating with hooks at the end. Yep. But you couldn't see anything. Couldn't see like, anything. attacking you. Yep. So we just, we decided, hey, what do we do when we get attacked by invisible things? <laughs> we just start swinging. swinging. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we ended up doing. And so we ended up... Uh, Swinging for quite a while. I think I killed a couple. Torque ended up killing a couple of these things. And then I forget what made it run away. Was it a fireball? Yeah, did Caleb do a fireball? Caleb it was? eventually did a fireball, and some of you started to hear them just rustling away. Yep. Um, a couple of you kept trying to attack, and you weren't hitting anything, which was happening when they weren't were there because they're invisible, so sometimes you just whiff through air. But you eventually realize, oh, the, the fireball, I think, chased them away. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it was because they're – we ended up seeing a couple of dead ones that became uninvisible after a while. Yeah, the invisibility spell or whatever it was on them wore off. And they were almost like foresty looking weird creatures that would be scared of fire if they I saw I don't have it. the names with me right now because we're out on a boat, but I believe that they're called Phantom Fungus. And okay. they are yep. from the 3.5 Monster Manual. So you can check them out in there. But yeah, so we ended up having to fight and kill a bunch of these things. And uh, we decided that, well, we should probably just go back now and not face more <laughs> of them because this is a really, really long fungi forest. So we decided to leave Caleb's crocodile behind, tell him to go back to where we came in, and we would meet him, you know, after when we got back. And so we decided to fly over. Caleb turned into his dire hawk or dire eagle, flew people across. We I had my griffin again, so flew them across. And we got to the other side. Yeah, you had to land like once or twice. Yeah, but Caleb had yep. tiny hut. Yeah, you guys, tiny all, hut, you guys right. are all so excited. You're yeah. like, tiny hut. Tiny hut. It's yeah. so useful now. <laughs> yeah. So we used tiny hut quite a bit yeah. going through this it night. It was a big field. Yeah. Uh, and it was well, we used it more than just in the oh, field, yeah, but did, it was yep. it was just awesome to be able to finally use tiny hut. <laughs> so we kept going, and we ended up going through this mountain pass. Nothing really happened in there, and we came out the other side. And there was a city in front of us. Kind of looked familiar. Kind of looked somehow. familiar, but we couldn't we couldn't pinpoint what it was exactly, uh, why it looked the same. And so we decided, okay, we could fly over it and yep. just bypass it. 
but we saw above the city that there were these creatures flying mm-hmm. around above the city. So we were like, okay, do we just try to go through the city and be as nonchalant as possible, <laughs> or do we fly over and take our chances being only two flying creatures that could possibly just get shredded when we fly? You guys noticed that there were humanoid. Yeah, we noticed that there was humanoid moving creatures. Around. So in, you're like, okay, this place is inhabited. Yeah. Like. So we decided to go in and. We all just this whole time we're having this feeling of like some of these people look really yeah. familiar to us for some reason. Like, what in the doing world the is double going take. on? Yeah, doing double takes all the time. And uh, I forget what it was. I think Rick's ended up seeing. Roderick. Yeah, he ended up seeing Roderick, who was an old bartender from a city in Clearborough that when we had we first stayed in. started this campaign. Yep. And so he decided to run after Roderick. He went to. The Lion's Den or what? I forget what it was. Never got the name of the inn. Just uh, he was working inside of an inn inside this city. Yeah. Yep. And he recognized them. They started up a conversation. Him and Torque ended up going in and sitting down. And they were like looking at a map and stuff like that. Meanwhile, Grouthoof and Kruor ended up seeing somebody that they recognized. Or Grouthoof did. And Kruor wanted to follow after him. Saw Faunus' friend. And he's like, well, you know, the the great prophet is here. We should go see the great <laughs> prophet. And Caleb's like, what? Well, like, the great, uh, I'm following him. <laughs> yeah, I'm following him. Don't know why the great prophet is here. Like, this is weird. We're already kind of, like, suspicious of, like, what in the world is going I on? I think We're, you guys started thinking, like, is this where dead? Are these people yeah, are these people dead like, because we but were like, why? Like, did they come here because of the guiding light? Is it like, yeah, is it messing? Like, I know they're not supposed to be here. Yep. And so we ended up following him. We found the great prophet. He talked to him. He was like talking, like he knew about the quest that we were on, and like he it wasn't the exact quest, but it was it was a quest that we were on, and Caleb needed to fulfill something, and inside of his pocket was was this the thing item. that you never got, yeah, yeah, <laughs> which I can tell you now was because some one of these creatures rolled a sleight of hand and got it in Put without it in you there, guys yeah. seeing. Yep. But you guys pulled this thing out that was an object that he said, oh, you went to get this from these mountains that you guys have never been to. Right. And you guys are like, what's going on? Because the they're trying to convince you, you guys that you've been here your entire life. That we need to and stay that you're here. And crazy. Like you brought up like this, like Caleb trusting the great prophet, like started talking to him about like, I was on this quest and the great prophet's like, there is no such thing as the place that you're talking about. Like you're talking crazy talk. Like, this is all there is. The city of Orn, that's all you've ever lived at. And so we got super freaked out about this, and we were like, okay, something's not right here. We need to go find our friends and get the heck out of this city. <laughs> so as we're leaving, Kruor all of a sudden feels like he notices somebody. Yeah, Kruor hasn't, from, seen, yeah, he hasn't anybody seen anybody in significance yeah. yet. Yep. But he's in this interaction with Groundhog and the Great Prophet. He's just like, Kruor, as we all know, is suspicious to an extreme. Yeah. So he's just like, Let's get out of here. Let's, get Let's the heck go. Out of here. And yeah. then Kuror saw Kuror somebody. Sees of his, all people. Of all people, his twin brother who died from an orc raid when he was younger saw his brother Altec sitting outside of a building. Like, I don't even know what he was doing. He was just like sitting right, outside there. Outside of and, a pub. Yeah. yeah, outside of a pub. And all of a sudden he says, Kuror, hi, how are you? And like, Kuror was like, I don't like this place. This isn't <laughs> happening. This isn't real. And he wasn't like all of a sudden put under a spell and like all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, I have to go talk to my brother. It's no. like, it's like he's like, no, something is not right here. Like, that's not brother, my brother. Yeah. Like, this is impossible. And so Kuror or uh, Grouthoof's like, okay, Kuror, we got to go. And Kuror was like, looking at his brother the whole time, wasn't fighting back against Grouthoof because yeah. he was but like, he I'm had super, to be carried away. He had to be carried he was, away. He just see his dead brother is there yep. in the flesh coming towards him. Yep. Like, 
And so at that point, I think people started like following us yeah. around the city. Well, you guys like Groundhog was trying to get you away from your your quote unquote brother because you're like, no, this isn't right. And you turned a corner, and who's there? Wesley Wonders was there. <laughs> and so then I was like, oh my gosh, we and need he's to- just like, guys, I've got a quest for you. And <laughs> yeah. you're like, nope, nope, <laughs> no, nope, nope. No. We need to go. We need to go. <laughs> Bye, Wesley. I, I Good to see you. you. And he's yeah. like, where are you going? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so we we ran back to try and find our friends, and like yep, Rick's we, and we found Tork. him back at the pub. Sitting and with Roderick sitting at with the Roderick, bar, talking, having a drink, yeah. looking at a map. Yeah, and all of a sudden we were like, "We got to get out of here!" And they're like, "But we don't want to leave. Like, yeah. this is Orn. This is our this home." Is our home. <laughs> and we're like, "What the frick is <laughs> yeah. happening right Just, now?" Just like out of character, you and Caleb, like your faces when you guys sat down because we had you guys leave the room, yep. like for when you guys split up, yep. and just you guys going back to the group and Torque and Ricks are just like, "No, we don't want to leave. This is our home." Just your guys' faces out of character was just like, "I hate this place. Yep. <laughs> this is awful." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I don't even remember how did we finally convince them to well, leave. Well, they they followed you. You yeah, guys they, were like, they we're leaving. If yeah, you guys want right, to stay, right. you can leave. And they followed you. They're like, they complained about it the yep. whole time and said, no, we want to stay. This is our home. Yep. They followed us. We we basically picked them up with our mount and flew out of the city. We were like, yep. we need to get out of here as quickly as possible. And so we ended up staying the night in a crevice yep. in in a mountain, trying to figure out what the heck was going on. Uh, so we decided to take like little, you know, little sleeps here and, and there. And you were like, okay, guys, if we let you keep watch, are you guys going to go back to the city? Don't go back like, to the city. Yep, they, they were said, like, no, nope, we, won't, we won't we'll leave you. And uh, in the middle of the night, Kruor woke up to them, sta- those two, Torque and Rick, standing at the front gate to le- or the front area, the entrance area of the okay, crevice yep. that we came into. And they were like babbling in this weird language that Kruor had never, ever heard before and they were like pulling on the bow strings and like swinging the sword looked, around you were like uh they might be talking about killing us <laughs> yeah i was like this is not right like these are not ricks and torque and so i kind of like just laid there and just had my eyes open a little bit and like waited to see what would happen and eventually they just kind of wandered back and ricks fell asleep and torque was like playing with the sword yeah like s- playing with a sword in the ground or whatever. And in the morning, uh, I woke Grouthoof up and I was like, like Grouthoof, I need to talk, I need to, you talk to you Grout right up. now. <laughs> I was like, I need to talk to you right now. <laughs> and they were like, well, we'll come with you. I was like, nope, you stay here, stay by the fire. It's okay, we're good. Uh, and I walked around the corner. I was like, that's not, that's not Rick's door. <laughs> it's not them. I don't know what happened to them, but it's not them. I don't know them. where they are. <laughs> and so we, we decided um, we needed to go back and try and find Rick's and Torque. And eventually, I, I don't even know why we didn't go back, but we, we ended up just being like, all right, well, we're just going to keep flying with them and see what happens. Maybe they're just under a spell or yeah. something like that. So our process, our thought process was maybe we'll just... You guys decided the plan was, let's okay, let's try and leave and see what they do. Mm-hmm. Let's pretend like we're leaving. And so you started heading in the direction that you knew you were supposed to go to because they were wearing all of Rix's clothes and Torque's clothes. So the necklace was still pointing. So you guys were like, all right, we'll see what happens. And you guys start flying flying towards these hills and they're just like, oh, you don't want to go there. There's howlers there. You don't want to go there. Like we should really turn back. And eventually you started questioning them because it was weird because they knew answers that they, sh- if these two were not Ricks and Tori, they knew stuff that they, that y- they should That's know. That's what it was. Know. Yeah. Cause I asked them, I was asking them questions about Shemesh is what it was. I was asking them questions of back home. I was like, Hey, you know, you guys talk a lot about Orn. 
But I feel like if even I asked you questions about Shemesh, you should be able to answer those questions. And so they couldn't answer any of the they questions that they I was did asking. Answer, well, they answered a lot of your questions, and they answered correctly. But when you asked them about Shemesh, they did not not answer. They said, Shemesh, there's no place like Shemesh. Yeah, it's just They Orn. started talking just like the people from the city. Yeah. It's just Orn. You guys are like, no, this isn't right. Yep. But then eventually you asked, you're like, okay, maybe they might know stuff that they shouldn't, but maybe they don't have the abilities that... Ricks and Twerk do. So yeah, you asked that's right. Ricks. We flew down to the ground. Yep. That's what it was. You saw a a dog creature yep. running around in this field. Yeah. So he saw this dog creature going by, and I was like, if this is really Ricks, he'd be able to shoot this thing yeah, extremely well. Like he'd be able to do it. And uh, all of a sudden, he like <laughs> Mark. He, yeah. He tried to like. He was like. Mark uh, looks up and he's like, uh, my bow requires a, this amount yeah, of strength yeah. to even shoot. And I'm just like, uh, you see Ricks pulling the bow and the arrow flops to the ground yep. and, <laughs> and he looks at you and he starts he's like if he, you can see a, a lapid sweating this lapid like, is sweating he's like well i just didn't want to shoot a defenseless creature like it didn't do anything <laughs> to me i was like he started yeah. Just, yeah i was like then shoot that rock over there and he's like no no i'm okay like i don't need to prove anything i'm, I'm all right and so eventually i think was it did i just decide to drop him is that what i decided yep, to you do? decided to drop him and he was calm as a cucumber yeah, when you picked him calm up. calm as the cucumber i dropped him just a little ways and yep. then caught him again on the griffin and uh, I for, we ended up, I think we ended up landing mm-hmm. and something, I don't remember exactly what happened, but his true nature ended up getting revealed because I was just pressuring him and pressuring him and pressuring him with questions. All of a sudden, Torque pulls out his sword and a battle begins. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And eventually you get Rick's cornered because he can't draw his bow. Yep. And what happens? I ended up trying to make the final killing yep. blow on it. And all of a sudden, his face morphed into Altec's face. And Your I was like, brother. Yeah, my brother. I was like, I don't even care. <laughs> this isn't Rick's. <laughs> well, I by that time, was your, your sword was coming yep. down, yep. and you slash your brother across the chest. Yep. He dies, and his body turns into this gray, tall creature. Yep. This, the, all of Rick's clothes is being stretched, and Torque is just... Uh, Grouthoof picked Torque Torque up. picked him up and, <laughs> and drops just dropped him, him like and 70 feet. And he falls and explodes. Yeah. And you guys are like, uh, what about Rick's and Torque? Now, Rick's and Torque. <laughs> they had went into the bar with Roderick and they made the de- the worst decision as Roderick. Roderick was like, oh, like come over here. We'll talk about the map. And they were suspicious. But when Roderick offered them a drink, both of them drank and it was drugged and they were in the city and they had gotten locked up because here's what these things were. They're doppelgangers. We used a top 10 idea. I wanted to use this doppelganger city, and they were all about, they were this weird version of doppelgangers that they sapped off the will of the living. And so if they could keep you guys in the city willingly and make you seem like you were happy, it would be like a delectable food to them. It would be so much better. But Torque and, so they decided that they'd forego using Torque and Rick's, and they used them as bait to keep you in the city. So they right. they were like, okay, we'll make we'll eat off of their will, even though they know that they're being trapped. And so they were trapped in the city while all this was happening. And so you guys are out in the field, like, uh, we need to go back. How are we gonna go into this whole city? And then all of a sudden you hear, Groundhog. <laughs> 
Crew on. Run. 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 <laughs> and you look and you see a naked Ricks and a naked Torque running at top speed. And behind them are all of these familiar faces. You have the great prophet. You've got your brother again. You've got your dad. You've got Ricks's sister. You got Ricks's dad. You got Wesley Wonders all on the back of these weird insectoid creatures. And they're running at you at top speed. Yep. And so we decided like, okay, I was like, all right, Grauhoof, you pick up, you pick up Torque. I'll take, uh, I'll take Ricks on the back of the, the Griffin. Griffin, pick up the dead bodies. Like you pick one, fly, fly, just fly, go, just fools. go, get out of here. And so we flew and flew and flew as fast as we could. And eventually we got to this point where these doppelgangers just stopped following us. They didn't want to go any further yeah. for some reason. They heard some howls in yep. the which you guys had heard Ricks and Torque, the doppelganger versions, talking about you don't want to go on these hills. It's got howlers. And you guys are like, okay, we don't even trust these guys. We know they're not Ricks and Torque. But apparently this howler thing was real. Yeah. And so you got they stopped, they went back. You guys are like, okay, good, we're safe. Uh, but what ended up happening then in this hills that were moving hills that you heard these howls everywhere. Yeah, we noticed that as we were flying we felt like we were changing a little bit. You made us you made us throw will saves every so yep. often. Um, and if we failed, we would each lose one point of wisdom for each one that we failed. And Kruor got, got down to, to the, the point, point where he had one <laughs> wisdom point left. And I was like, Kruor just like tries to land the griffin because he thinks it's fun to go run around <laughs> on the I'm, planes. I'm looking up frantically online. What happens if you hit zero will point or wisdom yeah. and you would have just become a flat out vegetable? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so we, we flew down and like we had to stay the night in a tiny hut yet again. Tiny hut. And uh grout hoof ended up realizing what was happening. Cause he's like, Kruor is usually a little bit wiser than this. Mm-hmm. Like, what in the world? So he ca- he started casting lesser, re- lesser restoration on me so that I could get some of my will points back and just, or my wisdom points back and be just a little bit wiser with the things I was doing. And finally, because of Grout of smart thinking and quick thinking and healing uh, your, your guys' wisdom points, eventually you made it past this point to these floating mountains and this necklace was pointing right towards one of them. And you flew up, and you entered into this cave, and inside was the guiding light. And you came up to it, and a creature started talking to you from the shadows. And eventually it revealed itself, and it had a tiger's face, and it had tiger's hands, but they were backwards. They were flipped. It was a D&D Rakshasha, which what I've never used before. Dream of when they take <laughs> a tiger snooze. <laughs> I've never used this creature before, but I've always wanted to. They just are the epitome of evil. And so this was the ancient one that had found some way to create this magical effect to cut off this plane. So obviously this was a really powerful one uh, from the gods, and he was holding the guiding light there. And a huge battle began between you and this, you guys and this Rakshasha, and eventually you guys kicked his butt. You guys won. Yep. Yeah. And so at that point, like before, the guiding light cut light kind of just dimmed and went out. And once we defeated the Rakshasha, it ended up coming back on. And I think we were just instantly teleported out, if I remember right. You like guys it was- saw this bright light when you took the guiding light. And all of a sudden, you felt that, like, floating through the air. Right. And you saw this vision of, all of you saw a vision for once, of the gods, like, in front of you. Uh-huh. And Istis, Istis reaches yep. out, takes the guiding light, puts it into his staff. And you see another bright light. 
And all of a sudden, like your vision starts to become clear again. And you're standing outside the mountain where you had first went into this weird place that led you to the stairs that led you up to the maze. You were back on Atos in Shemesh. And one last thing happened before we stopped right there. Well, we tried to go back to the mountain. Oh, yeah. And and go through the door. We couldn't get back in. And then one last thing happened. Do you remember? Oh, the rings of sustenance that we had on ended up disappearing. Disintegrating. Disintegrating, yeah. yeah. They no longer existed. And so that's where we left off. And I told you guys that, you know, you have you've completed this huge quest that you were on and now next time we're going to be going into epilogue night so we're going to wrap this campaign up which i'm excited to it's a little sad to always pass on and be like all right this campaign's done but i am excited to start a new campaign but i'm really excited for this epilogue night because i've got a lot planned for that so awesome uh, you guys were in this campaign and you were able to not only travel to unknown areas of these planes like the the stairs of Sidenor, but you went to Ivana, heaven in this world. You mm-hmm. went to this weird place called the as, Damon as Plane. As living creatures yeah. out there, yeah. Yep. And now you are back in Shemesh and I'm excited to see this end of the campaign and to see you guys wrap it up. So uh, that'll be on a future story time. You'll have to listen in, but uh, you guys have triumphed and brought the guiding light back and now Mortal worthy souls can travel and go to Havana. Yep. So congratulations. Hey, that's good. I'm glad we glad we were able to make it. <laughs> With that, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? All right, so for the meet this week, like we said, we're going to be talking about timelines, how to make a timeline, why you'd want to make a timeline for your own homebrew world, and how to go about that. So uh, first of all, obviously the question is, why make a timeline? What will that do? What will a timeline do for my world? Because a timeline is is adding more work to a making a homebrew setting, but like, why wouldn't you just want to just make a map, make places around the world, and just leave it at that? I think a simple answer is that is fine. You can just do that, and, you and I know plenty have, of people that do it yeah, and have a I great time a doing of, it. Yeah, I think a lot of people do just do that, and it's it can be just a great way to run a campaign. However, I think if you really are intent about getting into the lore of your world, making a timeline, there's just so many things that happen when you make a timeline that can better your world. One of the things that it can do is it can open the door to all different types of campaigns and settings in the one world that you have made it in. Like, I mean, if you're going into the future of your world, you can start going, oh, like, adding steampunk elements in maybe there was an apocalypse of some kind so the world has come to a dramatic and terrible end and all of a sudden the world as you knew it was not the same so you change your maps maybe a little bit maybe you use the same maps yeah things are still called the same but there's not stuff there maybe Mm -hmm. it's ruins and stuff now so yeah things like that can happen all the time it it gives you the plethora of information that you can use to make future campaign ideas just by simply thinking through what the future or what yeah, you know what the early changes have my like. world gone through you know we've talked about building a world and going from small to big big to small how that you know the different styles work if you start building a timeline for your world 
how does that affect your world as a whole? But then also you can get into how does that affect like the country, the city, like the yeah. town, like the person, the creature, you know, like, like you said, like maybe there's, maybe there's all these different elements, maybe races die off, maybe new technology comes, all these kind of things can change how a world works. And it just, it, yeah, it, it opens doors and it makes you go next campaign. I could have this just by simply writing down. I'd like to have this happen in my world at some point. Yeah. Well, and I think one thing too is uh, along with coming up with a timeline and writing down the things like you've probably experienced this too, when we were in school or, you know, whatever it was that, that we were doing, whenever I wrote something down, whenever I had to create something from nothing, I always seem to remember it really well. Oh yeah. And so the things that you create and the things that you come up with that you write down and you write the future of the world down or you write the past down or you write the present down, you're going to be able to portray that to your mm-hmm. your player characters extremely well. It's not going to be, you know, sometimes it works well, but it, it can get a little awkward if somebody asks you about the history of the city that you're in and you're like, I don't know the yeah. history of and my city. And it's okay to make it up on the right, spot. Right. However, and, and here's the thing, making a homebrew world, somebody asks you that, like, I don't have the history of every city in my mind. That's right. so much stuff. Yeah, like yeah, to, yeah. But yeah, like it does at the same time allow you to have something to build off of. If a, somebody asks you that question, you at least can know some idea of what the history of your world has been to even think about, okay, so this happened this many years ago. So how did the city incorporate into all of that? And just coming up with educated responses on your world's lore because of a timeline you've made. And I, I, I know for me, like my timeline, like you said, like it's it's things that you remember in your mind. My timeline is, I almost want to say 99% in my head rather than on paper because I have a timeline. But if you look at my timeline, it's not descriptive. It says this war, this happened, this event. Yeah, you just have a lot of major events yeah. that have happened so but, far on there. But when I look at that and I see that like, point in time and that title of that war or whatever in my mind i know what i was thinking when or what i've yeah. thought since writing that down and it just gives you a lot more as a dm to work with in your imagination yeah and i know for my timeline for example i i have some major things that have happened on it but for the most part the campaigns that you guys will be going through will end up on the timeline at the end so like yeah. if i you know the customizable gm screens that we have there's that one slot in the beginning i'm yeah. thinking about putting the timeline yep. in there and then saying like hey, this was the first campaign we ever did together, and this is where it fits in the timeline, and this is what you did and how That's it happened. That's a good point. Yeah. You, even if you do something like that and you print it out and you put it on a DM shield or whatever too, you even even putting... Because when we play in my campaigns, you guys know, oh, we're in this age, we're before right. this campaign that we played, we're after this campaign, whatever it is. But it'd be cool to have something where you can slide a marker on your timeline and be like, this is the campaign and we're doing it here. This time point in this world yeah last but not least i think all this adds up to say that the a timeline a history to your world working on something like that it's going to give your world more depth oh yeah it's not just in it's not just getting into oh like you saying hey guys this city is ancient like it's been around for a long time but if you have some sort of timeline you can build it by saying just a little bit more and saying guys this city was around since that campaign we played in the dragon wars that was 3000 years ago this yeah. city's been there and and that adds so much weight more weight than 
oh guys, this is this city's been here for such a long time because yeah. your players, especially if it's campaigns that you've played before, like they're gonna go, whoa, it's been around since that. Like I know this campaign takes right, place right. so far in the future that it's crazy that this city's still here. Or even in the sense of it doesn't have to be something you've played before, but guys, this city has been around since the Dragon Wars. And if you haven't played in the Dragon Wars, if you say that, what happens, Chris? Your players think, what are the Dragon Wars? What are the Dragon Wars? Yeah. And immediately they're interested in the history of your world. And maybe you don't want to tell them at that point, like, the Dragon Wars were this. I think it's pretty obvious. Yeah, right, war, right. War with right, dragons yeah. or something. But but they get interested in the history of your world and get want to know more about your world. And as DMs and as creators of homebrew worlds, isn't that something we really want for our players? To oh, be yeah. interested and excited and to want to know more. So yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's just something to throw little history points in and it's it's just fantastic so i think one of the first things when we talk about timelines that we have to discuss is how do you begin to start to make a timeline and i think it's it it might seem kind of silly and kind of like a little bit dumb (laughs) i guess you could say but i think the first thing that we would say is really like start with a simple line yeah like start (laughs) go in whatever program you want to use or even a piece of paper draw a line (laughs) beginning is the beginning end is the end like yeah, just that's your beginning of your – that's the place you're going to start first. Yeah, Simple and I think once you start with that line, the next logical thing, kind of like you see in like Lord of the Rings, you have the first age, second age, third age. You come up with these things called eras where there are different or things. ages or yep. reigns or whatever yep. you want to call them. I almost want to say when we said building a world that our recommendation would be uh, start small, go to big, I think with a timeline – I think you, if you're starting off DMing, I would say, don't worry about the timeline. Start in, oh, yeah. start yeah. with your one campaign. But then I would almost say, start big, work to small. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you start with the timeline, the one line that covers beginning to end, and then you start splitting it up into those errors or those ages and getting a little bit more small. And so when you break it up and you say, okay, I want this many errors in my world, I think you need to start going, all right. First of all, what are the what are the names of each of these errors? I know that in my world, just to give a couple of examples, like there's the Age of First Wonders, and that's where all of the races are first created by the gods, and magic starts being introduced, and all this stuff starts happening. Then there's the Heroic Age, and that is well known for heroes being prevalent and doing good things in the world. There's things like the Shadow Age, which is really bad. There's things like the God's War, which is is the age of abandon because they fight in the in the world of Atos, then they leave. And but when you name these errors, I think you need to figure out what is it during this specific error that you're naming that makes in this time, this time period different from the rest of your timeline. Because if the errors are all the same, like that's that's boring and there's no point to making a timeline. Yeah. Like you yeah. need to, you need to go. Okay, th- this is a if this is a changing world. Why are these errors named different things, and what are the things that make these things? And different? I think one easy way to name them is based off of some things that might happen within that. Absolutely. Era. Maybe it's something big that happens at the beginning of it, and that's the determining factor for what goes into it. Yeah. So you mentioned the God's War era, where it's like the thing that probably started that was because it dealt with the gods pretty yeah. heavily. Yep. Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, it could be a, I mean, you could, there's the gods war, 
that probably means that something bad happened. <laughs> you could call it something else relating to the gods, and it could be a good thing, like God's blessing or something like that, yeah. where the gods actually lived, like you could see the gods living among yeah. you or something like that. Um, so you could you could do a lot of different things. Gods could be something that are a determining factor for that era specifically. I mean, you could have things like you had the Age of First Wonder, where, like, for example, races were created yep. right away. That was when... You know, however they were created, whether it was boom, there they were, or if it was, you know, different gods crafting them out of the ground, this is the time where everybody's waking up and it's like, whoa, what's going on in this world? This is pretty cool here. It's like the age of first wonder. Yeah, you know? that age specifically, whatever age is like the beginning of your world, if you're going with gods created this world and they created these uh, races at the beginning of the world, that first age in your world is probably going to be, it's going to be filled with races that are, I would imagine the gods are probably a little bit more interactive than maybe like as time goes on. Maybe not, maybe you go the different right. route, but like they've just created these races. And so perhaps it's a god itself. Perhaps Corellon himself is create is teaching the elves how to hunt yeah you know like they're interacting with a new world magic being discovered all that kind of stuff but yeah there's all these different aspects that can go into all right what makes this specific age different like you said races can be one the birth of a race mm -hmm. whether it's the birth of all the races or well during this era which is thousands of years into the future for the first time, we see this race emerge and why is that yeah. like that's that's part of your lore but you know that okay in this era these are the races. And that gets into even like rules being different because, well, if you play in certain eras, it's like, oh, can I be an orc? No, because, well, orcs have all died at this point <laughs> because there was a plague. And so now orcs are all dead or all of the humans and elves and dwarves work together to kill all the orcs. Right. So right. in this era, there are no orcs. Maybe there's a point where a race either tries to leave the plane of existence completely, and so there's an exodus of yeah. the race, and so they're yeah. gone for that reason. And maybe orcs all die, and something happens to bring them back right. in another age. Some sort of resurrection yeah. or something like yep. that. And, but like races themselves can change from point to point in different eras. Yeah, and I think you know in our world we see a lot of times when new eras started, like the Industrial Revolution is always yeah. known as this big thing that happened in the world. Because technology changed. The way that oh, yeah. we did things made things simpler. And it was it it when you think of history, when you're in history classes, that's what it's always referred to as the industrial uh -huh. revolution because of the types of technology that helped boost everybody's economy. And so in D and D that could be something where it's like maybe, you know, magic was the thing that always was able to create things for people. And all of a sudden somebody made a machine that could replace magic. And so maybe magic, you know, doesn't die necessarily, but machines start to replace some of the things that magic did. And so you have like this, this era where that begins to happen a little bit. Yeah. So technology can grad magic or can alter a timeline drastically. Yeah. Early on in your campaign, goblins and kobolds are running around with knives and daggers and shields. Later on in your world, they're running around with little flamethrowers. <laughs> like, that could be yeah. a huge difference that just adds so much. It's very cool. Well, and that's weapons, too. Like, you have the Bronze Age that people began to get out of the Stone Age with now having iron weapons and yep. things like that. So weapons can be a weapons huge thing. Weapons change, yeah. yeah. What kind of weapons? Like, flamethrower, 
is very different age than swords, and you can mix the two. Like there can be goblins flame throwing flame swords and yeah. flame throwing swords. <laughs> I think it's just a flaming sword. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but maybe maybe it shoots fire. There's a flame throwing sword. But yeah, and guns too. Like oh yeah, you can jump into a future part of your world where there are orcs and men maybe they're still going to war against each other but now it's with muskets and it's like a like shot hurled around the world a kabold <laughs> running around with a musket yeah. that'd be awesome uh the start of the orc wars the shot heard around the world well, and you have too like something that could be a huge change in a world that could cause a new era to happen is maybe somebody discovers a, a new plane oh yeah that all of a sudden unleashes this deadly virus or deadly race upon the mm-hmm. world and they just you know maybe you have mind flares that are always a part of a different you know just to tap into what you yeah. really like the mind flares maybe you have mind flares tucked away in this different plane of existence and somewhere in your world's timeline all of a sudden somebody discovered that plane and the or portal they door discover your pl- plane yeah. or they discover your plane however that wants to work and out the world is forever and the changed. world is forever <laughs> changed get yankee yeah get yankee start invading your world and just raiding your world because they've discovered it through the astral plane interaction with different planes and discovery of that from either end can change the world drastically for the better or for the worse maybe maybe the Gizera come and find your world and then they start to trade with the people in your world and it becomes a good thing maybe other things can be different at different points in error in your campaign timeline in your world timeline such as i know in my world with the gods war happening during the heroic age which comes before the the age of abandon and the gods war resurrection is a magic that the gods have blessed upon the mortal race and then after the gods war with so many gods dying they call together the god council all the gods get together and they decide that because so many of them have died and man has even a couple of mortals have even killed some gods they have decided that hey we're no longer granting resurrection to mortals anymore as a yeah. as a gift that's we're taking that away and so That also is interesting in the fact that it allows me as the DM to decide at different points when I want to play a campaign with resurrection rules and without resurrection rules. Right. Because, and that's like different points in your timeline can determine like, well, this is how we're going to play with this rule, homebrew rule of this, or in this timeline, homebrew rule of this, or just standard rule. It can, rules can change because of certain things in game. And that's a resurrection can be that way as well. I know magic can change from different points. Yeah, that's very I true. I mean, it could be something something so drastic that maybe there's a point in your world where magic completely stops working. Right. Whether it's the arcane arts aren't like everybody's forgotten. Maybe all the wizards, like there was this point in your world where all the wizards came together and created this like one wizard world government. That sounds scary, <laughs> doesn't it? And maybe they did something wrong. And the leader of it is Tom Riddle. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe they did something wrong. And because of that, all wizards died and the art of wizardry is forgotten and there's no more arcane magic going on. Like that's that's a way that once again rules and and then you get into classes too. Oh, classes yeah. can be different. It can be like wizards, like before was before arcane arts was discovered, no wizard class. Fighters, rangers, you got all that stuff, but no sorcerers, no wizards, mm-hmm. no maybe there's no paladins at certain points, you know? Like there's there's all different ways you can change different points in your world. I think too, you know, I've I've played 
Age of Empires over and over and over again. And something that always tends to happen in that game is you run out of resources at some point in time if the game goes long enough. And I think that's the same thing that happens in our world and could possibly happen in your world too. So say for some reason your world was, for some reason had very little iron in it, and all of a sudden people thought iron was this great thing that we could build all this stuff on. We had the industrial revolution in our world and we just mined iron like never before. We built tall cathedrals and buildings and stuff out of iron and all of a sudden it's gone. Yeah. Like you just all of a sudden can't, you can't replace the iron when it starts to rust. And so your buildings start to fall apart and things need to change. And maybe there's not a substance that's strong enough to fix the buildings once they start to rust. And so you come into this age where all of a sudden everything needs to change the way that you build things, the way that you make weapons. All of these things happen because resources ran scarce and you ran out of them for whatever reason. That can be a huge determining factor in a new era start. Or even the opposite of that yeah. and resources being found. Yeah. Like a new resource being found or resources for some whatever reason becoming abundant. And maybe this age of abundant like wealth among all races happens. Or there's a resource a resource like in my world, Bastion Windsailer, the strongest wizard of all time, found <laughs> these rune stones on an island that allowed him to travel to once again going back to different planes of existence yeah. and alternate versions of the world of Atos and that's a resource that was found that changed the way that the world worked because that's a new resource that's introduced and oh, yeah. can change different errors yep. but all these things to say that uh, when you create a new error in your world and you separate your timeline by errors or ages figure out what is it that's going to be different about this age and then I would say after you figure that out, name it appropriately. And I think that something that's really important, and we kind of went over this a little bit, but is to when you're creating an error, figure out the beginning point and the ending point. Yep. Because it, I feel like it should be a, there should be a beginning and ending point to an error. Like the age of abandon in my world, the beginning point was the god Erebus, the god of darkness, and the god Pelor, the god of the sun getting into a battle that just set off this chain of events that led to the God War. And then the end result of the Age of the Abend was after the gods had left, they came back to once again interact with mankind, and then the Golden Age began. So, like, they come up with a, why, what started this, whether it's, whether it's a war or whatever it is, what ends this, whether it's peace or whatever it is. Going along with that, so you've created these errors on your timeline. Now I think you get smaller. <laughs> and yeah. you what happens within exactly that what era. are the major points of interest within each specific error? So there's a bunch of things that we could obviously talk about and we're going to right now <laughs> about what are some some kind of ideas for things you can fill different errors with. And we've talked about some already, but here maybe are some more examples. Uh, once again, birth of races, it doesn't have to be like that first stage, but like maybe along the lines, a new race comes, whether it's it's created or it's through a different plane, yep. however you however it ends through up happening, however a different race enters into your world. That's that's something that could happen. I think that's an important point to put down onto your timeline. Humans enter. <laughs> yeah. And I think too, a lot uh, possibly within the same lines of a new race being created 
maybe it causes a war to break out. And so maybe yeah. there's a war within your timeline that happens. Uh, I know, like we think of World War II, that dramatically changed the way that Europe looks and feels about some countries, even to this day. Uh, so war can be a huge thing. And then peace. Peace yeah. can be a huge determining factor of something that happens within your time, within your era as well. Especially if it's something that affects the whole world, like a a, wor- a peace that's around the entire world. Well, that's something that should be noted in your timeline. And if that time has passed and there's war going on again, what do play? What do characters in this world, if they were alive during that point, what do they remember and talk about during that? time of peace around the entire world or maybe it's like hundreds of years into the future and npcs like people you meet in your world they're just like i don't even believe that that's real like they deny the fact that that even happened a peace around the world or maybe it was a a peace that was built out of you know a an empire that forced peace upon people and it wasn't a it wasn't a real it wasn't a peaceful peace yeah exactly (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) or it could be that when this time of peace happens Peace can sometimes be a time for people to just simply build up their armies again, recover and build up their armies. And so maybe there's this one nation that's like, okay, perfect. This is now our time. And the way that this this era then ends is because of another war that spreads throughout the whole world. Oh, yeah. I think we we mentioned it briefly, but empires, like the rise and fall of empires is something that's can be huge and be part of, maybe it makes up your whole error. Maybe it's a part of your error, but like, Empires are a huge thing. If you look at our real world history, I think historians would point out like the Roman Empire being a huge point in our world's history. Oh, yeah. Because even like just the fact that they covered so much of the known world back then and how they affected all these different countries that they were either they were ruling over or not ruling over. Like nobody during that time during the Eastern world would have ever been like, I don't know who the Roman Empire is. Right. Because they had their hand out everywhere and so you at least had heard of them and the stuff that they were doing and and an empire in your world that takes over a huge chunk of the world is going to affect the world in general and so that's something to note the the point where they rise the point where they fall it's definitely something of interest to note and i think too along with with empires you have whenever you get a large group of people together whether conquered forcibly or maybe it's just a bunch of people that came together to form this empire you have these things that happen where there's great technological and great magical advances, especially yeah. in the world of D&D. This can range anywhere from airships to, you know, Bastion created these ways of traveling yeah, from plane, one plane to, plane to another. Travel, planar travel. Um, so you get time any, travel. Yeah, time travel in and of itself. You know, wizards can figure out how to time travel through magic. Or technology creates time travel. I mean, that can... <laughs> That can get into something we're going to talk about in a little bit called alternate timelines, yeah, too. Yeah. Uh, because time travel, if you go back and you can change stuff in your lore, like that can get crazy. And how does that affect like your world, time travel? Another thing that can affect your world and can be something that's of interest in a specific era would be plagues. Like in my world, there's the elven scour- scourge, which is a plague that kills 95% of all the elves on of Atos. And something like that, a plague, whether it's a r- plague that affects a specific people group or race or country, like that is something 
to definitely you could note on your timeline in a specific error. You talked about your gods war already in this episode, but you have times where there's divine interventions that happen where the gods come and in some way, shape, or form interact with the populace of your of your world. Yeah. And so the gods come down, they, you know, whether it's giving them some technological advance or giving them some magical uh, advancement, whether, you know, they come down and the, your age is known as the age of resurrection or something like that, where resurrection magic was never a thing. And all of a sudden the gods come and there's a divine intervention that happens, and now you have resurrection. And so maybe resurrection magic is widespread and abundant because everybody is trying to get ahead in the resurrection game. You know, Or even the opposite of divine intervention. What happens in your world, and it would be something of note to put onto your timeline, if the god who controls death dies, like what happens to the soul's of the dead when they die. Like where are the, are people dying? If the God of death dies, like it's also important to note. I think sometimes in your timeline, if a God is replaced by another God, because that's going to probably change. Like if this God overthrows this God and takes up their throne, things are probably going to change for your world. Or is it all of a sudden the God of death is no longer like is killed or whatever. And everybody stops dying. This could be really interesting. And all of a sudden, you have all of the gods that are trying to resurrect, even the good gods trying to resurrect the god of the dead because it's causing (laughs) so many issues in the world that it's like, we as gods can't do anything about this because we're not the god of the dead. We have to get the god of the dead back. (laughs) That would be really interesting. You mentioned like a world that has an apocalyptic type event. Well, god of death dies what if the god of life dies oh and maybe maybe then you have maybe the last error of your world is a point where the only living creatures in your not and ix that the only creatures in your world are undead creatures yeah maybe you play in an undead campaign go looking at dark souls like lore like now but yeah. like yeah like all your characters are undead like or there is no life on your planet anymore. It all takes place in the underworld. Something to note on your your in your specific errors is the exploration of the world. Maybe when you start your your world, your campaign, there's only the eastern side of the world is known. Only this, the western or the northern part of the world is known. And then you have this exploration out. And as time goes on, here's how the world is discovered and different parts of the world are discovered. Some other things that I think can be pretty notable within your timeline is natural disasters. Think, you know, the the lore of Atlantis, the, the city that's magnificent and technologically advanced sinks to the bottom of the ocean all of a sudden. And then, you know, whether it's like you have the DC world where Atlantis has merfolk living in it or whatever, you know, the Disney, the Disney uh, cartoon Atlantis where there's <laughs> people riding around on steel dolphins and stuff like that. You know, you have you have these crazy things that can happen on these things, but or it just completely wipes that civilization off the map because of a, a huge earthquake or a comet comes and hits yeah. and creates, you know, this ash in the atmosphere that causes vegetation to not be able to grow and this, that and the other thing could happen. Because, or a volcano erupts and does a whole bunch of damage, or you know tsunamis, that, anything natural disaster, rise and fall. Like maybe it's because nothing to do, they didn't do anything wrong. Wrong but place at the a wrong volcano time. Exploded. <laughs> yeah. Or the island. Pompeii. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it could be a natural disaster as huge. This is fantasy worlds. Remember, like it could be a natural disaster as huge as 
the planet splits in half. Like, literally. It's a fantasy world. Go for it. The planet literally splits in half and floats off. And forget the whole science behind it, but, like, half the planet floats off in this direction, half the planet floats off in this direction, and half the planet is forgotten from the rest of time. I hate to be right on the fault line of that. (laughs) Being like, Bobby, no! You're, like, holding the person's (laughs) hand. Just like, don't let go! Well, it's got to be a little bit further than that because you could just jump across if they're holding hands. Like, just make it. No, it's like that moment where you just, you don't, like, you didn't think in the shock of it all, and you're holding, and then you kick yourself for the it's rest like of the life. It's like the saddest thing. I could have just jumped. It's like the saddest thing in a movie next to Castaway with Wilson <laughs> that would ever happen. Uh, one, of the, one of the NPCs is named Wilson. Wilson! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wilson! I'm sorry! I'm sorry, Wilson! I think uh, lastly, and certainly not lastly, but what we have on our list. There's so many things you can add into your errors, but something that I've added in is major. And when I say major, (laughs) I mean, major NPCs, whether it's a God or somebody as powerful in my world and as world changing as Bastion Windsailor, which also is major because he is immortal pretty much. So it's like, he does affect the timeline of the world, not just the one point in the world. Um, But it could even be something along the lines that we talked of once again, emperors and kingdoms. Well, you have the first member of this family again, like in, if you look at middle earth history, like you can follow genealogies of Aragorn back to the first, his first ancestor. And those are some things that maybe if that's a NPC, that's so major in your world, Put that on the timeline. Put that put that in the specific error. This is when this king first was thrown and his family then reigned in this kingdom for the next three errors. Now, the other thing to think about when you're working on errors and trying to figure out the timeline of your world is years and time itself. Like, go back and listen to our episode, Time and Space World Building, where we talk about calendars and figuring out all of how to set make a calendar for your world and how long is your year because you could just go with the simple your year is as long as our real years here in the real world or you can make a fantasy calendar with shorter years longer years but when you create a timeline uh, you can just you this is kind of getting deeper you don't need to really work on years but it gets your timeline to be deeper and you can say oh this event happened in this era at this year and you can also get into the whole we have bc and we have ad and you could come up with acronyms for your world that relate to years for that kind of thing whether it's a person's birth whether it's their death whether it's an event that makes that acronym for the amount of time and what year so it could be we are living right now in this campaign in 1023 adw after the dragon war there you go and then there's some really cool things that you can do after you create one timeline or you might be able to do it at the same time. Yeah, if you, you can want to get deeper. <laughs> and then you can go and create alternate timelines. And so that creates this whole different dimension of the world where you now have maybe two of the same world, but they're in different timelines. So you have different dimensions with the same world, but maybe you had a huge war that happened in one of the worlds that the good side ended up winning. 
and the other timeline and the other part or in the other exact replica of the world just in a different dimension you have the good side losing and so now you have the whole populace enslaved or destroyed or whatever it is and you can have your players not know what timeline they're actually playing in and so they may have to do a little bit of digging through the history to find out okay the dragon so take the dragon wars for example maybe the dragons win in the dragons war what happens they were always used to playing in the world where the dragons lost now maybe you have a f- campaign past where the dragons won in a different dimension and that can just be like okay now we're trying to figure out what dimension and what timeline we're actually playing with uh in that world so multiple timelines can be a really interesting thing to add into your world to make it even that much deeper i really like that because when you make it so there can be multiple timelines to your world and like oh in this version of Atos or in this version of Atos you get into well if we're going to play in a futuristic campaign and they talk about like you said like what Matt like the dragon wars like oh we know that the dragons lost the dragon wars that's how we've always been talking history well if you go back and play in a campaign in the dragon wars and you don't embrace this alternate timeline idea then your players are going to be like, well, we know what, like, are, do we really have control here? Like, we know what is going to happen. Like, if we're fighting against the dragons, we know that our side's going to win. Right. Well, not necessarily. You could die, and your side could fail and create this alternate timeline where the dragons do win and oppress all the mortals for the rest of time. Right. You get into the, once again, like apocalyptic events. You can have an alternate timeline where it could be, we've talked about mind flares taking over or even that idea of the entire planet splitting in half. Things that can happen that you're like, man, it'd be really interesting if the world just went down the tubes. Well, it can be like that. And I kind of like that idea because... Well, you don't need to go, well, we'll just play in this campaign, and this is not what I want this world to really turn up as, so it won't be canon. Well, it can all be canon if you embrace that alternate timeline version. And then, I mean, you get into the, okay, so do I create alternate timelines? Do I create, do I go, and you can. You can go beyond that simple, start with a simple line, that's your timeline, and you can start with a line, and then you can have it break off at certain events and get mm-hmm. really in-depth and create all these different timelines in of your world and what happens. And if you get into, like we said, like time travel, whether it's technology or magic, that's when you might want to open up your mind to going, okay, alternate timelines. Maybe your lore with time travel is that you can change the past, and so different timelines begin. Hashtag lost. (laughs) So, yeah, if you create alternate timelines, you're definitely embracing the timeline idea and you're going deeper. It's not something that I would say start off with, but if you've created your timeline and you have played in a couple campaigns within that timeline, I would say try it out. Go for a different alternate timeline. Make make alternate timelines themselves. That would be a really cool way to embrace it and get deeper in your world and deeper into the history of your world. There's some other things that these are obviously not necessary things for creating a timeline, but some ways that if you have created a timeline or are creating a timeline and you want to delve deeper into timelines in your world and getting maybe a little bit more organized or making it seem a little bit more real, some other things that we wanted to mention that you could do for your timeline. One thing that I've done for my world, because I have so many NPCs popping up in different points in history, is I've created an NPC spreadsheet 
all my computer with uh, first name, last name, class, description, and year and the age that they live in for these NPCs. And it's really nice to be able to have something like that if you are, if you do like to be an organized person, to have a spreadsheet like that so that you take notes. And it is going to get a lot more difficult remembering NPCs and all that stuff That's if you're sure. getting into timeline and going and jumping around different points in history. Like, oh, like, I really like this NPC. Uh, we're playing this campaign in this part of, in this time during the world. Uh, is he alive? Is he dead? Well, you can check out your spreadsheet and figure it out from that point of view like that's an easy way to remember npcs and remember when they lived and what campaign you played in you can if you get really into it beyond just putting errors in and putting in dates like maybe you want to write down their death and birth date in that spreadsheet that's a that's a good way that if you're really getting in depth with this that you can make it a a lot more organized so that you have really nice notes and maybe because something happened in the world earlier they may not have a birth or a death date yeah, depending exactly. on what happens yep. yeah yeah maybe you get really specific with that timeline uh or that npc spreadsheet and you mark what timelines if you name your timelines your alternate timelines what timelines he they exist in or maybe they change like i've created an alternate version of Atos where bastion is an evil wizard right, right which sucks for that world <laughs> yeah, yeah it does some other things that you can do too is if you uh, are creating a timeline i would imagine that changes in your world map will inevitably happen uh, and there's various different reasons that that can happen you could have anything from war to natural things happen that causes the 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 world to shift what it looks like. So you could have changes in topography. Oh yeah. Um, based off of earthquakes, like you could either have a chasm open up because of an earthquake, or you could have a mountain begin to form, or mountains could get taller, or uh, a volcano can happen and it decimates a mountain. Maybe the mountain just explodes and then all of a sudden there's just a crater where it was and lava is everywhere. So your topography can change. I haven't, uh, in my world, you guys visited there when you fought the octopus, the Shattered mm -hmm. Islands. Yep. Um, and you guys don't know exactly how that happened. Uh, but what ended up happening there was there was a meteor that hit there a long so, time ago. Oh, that's and it, interesting. So it literally is a shattered it's island. It's literally a shattered island it's from what it was. It's not just the name, but it yep. literally happened. Yep, like it that. literally happened. Yeah, so the shattered islands used to be one complete island. And because the meteor hit, it shattered them and moved them apart. Uh, and so that's the way that, that the Shattered Islands form. So you get changes in topography from that type of stuff all the time. Yeah. And I would I would say if you're going to get into this, which I think it, once again, this is a taking that deeper plunge into timelines and histories. But if you're ready for it, do it because it really could be cool. But I would say you need to set like different periods. So like maybe just create a map of your world for each error, mm -hmm. like of your world. But also, like, I feel like you need to embrace that whole changing once again. Like, maybe your world becomes, by the start of your world to the end of the world, it becomes, goes from 30% water to 90% right. water. Like, you see the islands disappearing, or vice versa. Like, it becomes, uh, it goes from being 10% land, couple islands, to becoming huge continents right. in your right. world. Yeah, like you said, rivers happen, mountains rise, all these kind of things. Embrace that and add that into your map. Make when If you're going to make a second map or a third map or a fourth map for your timeline, they should be different. They shouldn't be, like, they should be recognizable, but they should be different. Yeah. 
You can also have things like the country borders changing because oh, of yeah. wars. As they should. Uh, yeah, as they should. Like, I, I remember watching a documentary on World War II, and uh, there was the lines that they showed of where ad- countries were advancing and where countries were retreating mm-hmm. and things. And it was like, that happened over the span of five years. Now, do you necessarily need to change them by huge amounts? No, you can. I mean, for example, we've talked about Rome. When you look at the Roman Empire, every single border was shattered, yeah. and there was just <laughs> one big Rome, you know? Yep. So it, it, country borders should inevitably change when there's war, and when and you have the utopians in yep, your world utopian that, empire, that yep. the the country borders were changing all the time for them. Oh, so yeah. country borders are a through thing. A, you guys went through a campaign where the borders changed right, because right. you guys helped them to win yep. certain areas back, or helped them help the other people to win certain areas right. back from them. right. So yeah, country borders should inevitably change. But I would say that if you're new to DMing and you're just creating your own world, don't worry about that. Just make a base map for your world. This is all much deeper stuff that you can get into later once you feel like your world has already been established and you want to establish it more. So make that base map. And then from there, if you really want to get into your history and your timeline, take that plunge in. Uh, I like using the word plunge because we're on a boat. Um, Yeah, Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And so take that deeper plunge in and make your world have more of a a couple maps, timelines, a couple timelines, all of that stuff. So that's what we had to say about timelines. We highly encourage that if you feel like you are ready, that you take that next step, make a timeline for your world, make multiple timelines for your world, make a couple maps for your world and get more immersed into the history of your world and help your players in that sense become more fascinated with this world that you've created and the history of your world. With that, let's head to the mailbag of holding. They've been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay? Welcome to another segment of the Mailbag of Holding Place where we share ideas, stories, and questions from you, the listener. This week, we are going to be looking at an email we got from Daniel Willis. And Daniel Willis writes in, and I think this is just some brilliant ideas on his part. He's talking, first he writes in and he's, he talks about how, hey, I, lo- I love Marvel, just like you guys talk about on the show Marvel a lot. Um, and Marvel is, of course, doing their Secret Wars event right now where a lot of alternate dimensions have been pulled together into one reality and in the battle world. And they are just different versions of different characters are doing battle with each other. Yeah. And he's like, well, what if what if you did a campaign where this happened in D&D? What if you did a campaign where you brought every plane of existence for whatever reason, some magical thing happened, something with the gods happened, and all planes of existence are brought together onto one enormous plane of existence? Like, what would happen with that? What would be the ramifications of that? And I think it just opens up. We, we discuss back and forth through email all the things that were potential storytelling devices that could happen then. And there's just so many doors that would open to different stories that you could tell if you brought all the planes together into one plane. Going along the lines of just timelines in general, what if the different timelines all came together? Oh, my gosh. Like all of the things that happened. So say in one world, people are used (laughs) to the Dragon Wars not ever happening one is used to them happening and winning one of the sides is used to it happening and then losing and then all of a sudden they all come together into one centered around just after the dragon wars like what people are seeing each other they're seeing all of a sudden all of the different like dragons flying around 
maybe they don't even know what dragons are in one of the worlds. Yeah. And so it's just mass hysteria and mass chaos for everybody that's involved. I think that would be interesting <laughs> to be in that world when that happened. Yeah, time times being brought together themselves. Or and then then this idea of planes, like yeah. obviously you're gonna have uh planes like the elemental planes that are gonna come in conflict with each other. But then think about like the planes where the gods exist. Yeah. Becoming part of the material plane and the like good and evil gods. And now this this place where all the mortals lived, it's it's part of every single plane. So you have gods, and gods in classic D&D lore can only be killed on their home plane. But if all of the planes are brought together, does that mean that gods can be killed on that plane of yeah. existence every, everywhere? Or maybe, like, are the... Is it separable, like, by... They're almost like countries now. Like, a god can be only killed in its own plane, which is sort of like this area of this one plane. But, like, the fact that gods are now living with mortals on the plane and probably now brought to the point where they, you know, they see that other god across the way. They're going to do battle. They're going to be like, okay, now, especially the evil gods, they're going to use it to their advantage to try and kill the good gods. It would just be all out. I feel like it would, one of the things me and Daniel and you talked about was it would just be chaos. Oh, yeah. Like complete chaos, battles popping up everywhere, uh, fight for the plane to control the plane themselves. Like what happens with the dead? Oh, yeah, this is interesting. yeah, Yeah, if the dead are brought to the same plane, so you have living and you have the souls of the dead there, whether from heaven, hell, like all, like the underworld, wherever it is. Like, what happens now if a person dies? They don't travel to another plane of existence. Right. They tr- they're they right there. Are they stuck? Like, is it just like they die and their their soul comes out of their body and they're just there? Can you, as a living person on this plane, now see the, yeah. the, the souls of the yeah. dead? Can you communicate with, like, dead family members and stuff like that? And, like, now you can walk into the underworld yourself? And, like, it's just... It's crazy the possibilities that open up with if you brought all the planes together, it would just become this amazing, like like you said, Chris, we talk about different timelines. Maybe you embrace that idea and say, okay, one timeline of my world, this happens. Like for whatever reason, like maybe the evil gods get together and they come up with this powerful spell and it does this. Mm-hmm. And yeah. all of a sudden, one timeline of your world is all the planes collide. Yeah. That would just it would just have so many crazy repercussions. And to maybe it. your goal as players then is to reverse the spell. Yeah. And how get do we all get the planes? How do we change this again? back? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we thought that was a really fantastic email and a fantastic idea that we would love to hear somebody play that out and make that into their campaign story and write into us. With that, we are going to head to DMnastics. Welcome back to DMnastics, the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds. I'm DM Neil, aka Joe Maniac, and for this DMnastics, we're tying it back to episode number 34, bringing the magic of magic into D&D. And I figured the best way to do that would be adding a special guest to the DMnastics who can introduce himself right now. Hi, I'm Magic Mark, and you know me from such episodes as bringing the magic of magic into D&D and a few other ones, like Picking Your Pantheon, I think was the name of the episode, and the Hired Heroes episodes. Yeah, and this was actually the fourth uh, bringing the magic to magic into D&D. So if nothing else, at least four episodes that have that title. (laughs) 
for this Diamnastics, it was number 16 on the forums. That's The title of it is Diamnastics number 16, and it was essentially taking pictures of items and putting descriptions to them to be able to put them inside our D&D games, essentially very similar to what they did with the magic cards in the episode. The first one we wanted to highlight was from DM Never, and it's called The Tome of Arquilon. Main reason to focus on this one is to tie it back to the deity that we collaboratively created earlier. The picture was of an open book with things essentially popping out of it. It would be one of the coolest things you could ever get as a child in terms of pop-up books. And essentially the bearer of the tome can focus on it and actually be transported almost as like a existential out-of-body experience to a story of their choosing and then see what transpires during that story. And as soon as it's done, that person is pulled back to where they came from, but the tome goes to where the story happened. So hopefully the person can tell where they went. This makes it so that the tome is rarely ever read and when it is it becomes exponentially harder to find it another one we wanted to focus on was from friar took yeah friar took he came up with the hagel strimes handy helmet and it's a great idea to go over forum and find this picture because the picture really brings together the item uh, so this item is basically a bunch of hands that latch to the top of your head in a various ways and this item he had said was created by some mad scientist on his island like Dr. Moreau but the scientist was named Hagelstein and the wearer when they have it on has a disadvantage to charisma because the thing looks so freaking ugly Uh, (laughs) a couple other things they get a lot of hand oriented spells for free obviously the more powerful it is the less often they have it summon crawling swarm and it's 1d8 hands crawl from the helmet or there's a flesh golem. This was the one that I was kind of like, hmm, how does that work? Is it just like some giant hand golem? Yeah, so there was a helmet covered in hands. It would attack your enemies. But I think most of them had this thing where if the person took the helmet off, they would just attack whatever's nearest. So don't take the helmet off. I, I hadn't even thought about the flesh golem being more specifically a hand. All I can envision, envision now is a giant version of Thing from the Adams Family. <laughs> Yeah, things like that mixed with the boss from the first Super Smash Brothers, the floating hand that would just smash people. Nope, I I don't like this. So the one that I took was, essentially it's a ring that kind of looks like a bird's head, and I called it the Loop of Avian Adaptation. So essentially it was created by someone who was trying to indoctrinate themselves and kind of live in the shoes of the Arakoa race. And while they did that to get a better perspective, they um, were able to cast spells that helped them understand how that person lives so they could have eagles vision or be able to cast fly on themselves things like that and these spells would also give more of the physical attributes of a bird rather than just the ability to fly and you still look like a human the person that created it often leaves items of this power and this type with the people that he's trying to learn about so that they can give it to someone that they trust and someone that they think could use the item. So the other thing I was thinking was actually asking a little bit more 
about you, hashtag magic mark, and how frequent would you say you receive items from like a pack of magic cards? That's an interesting question. I mostly do my magic shopping through the internet and just buy things that I want. It's more cost efficient that way. But I'd say it depends on the set, but some sets you'll have like two or three every pack, and other sets you would have like one every other pack, depending on the emphasis on artifacts in a magic pack. Okay, yeah, because that's kind of, that's that's what I was thinking in my head was, you know, and there were so many options that you guys had kind of come up with in the episode, but I was like, when I think magic, I think monsters. But obviously there's more than monsters because they have talked about a ton of awesome sounding items. And then, yeah, my first thought was the rarity at which you could get or unfortunately not get artifact items. And then, yeah, my my second thought was, as you said, the more cost efficient uh, way to purchase anything related to magic short of rubbing hundred dollar bills all over your decks is to just buy them online. What we did mostly for the episode research for that one was when we decided we were going to talk about it. We went to the website and just literally went, search all artifacts. And I just scrolled through like a list of like artifacts and went, oh, that's cool. What could I come up with with that? And kind of just grabbed some at random and started coming up with ideas. Well, that sounds even more cost efficient than the previous idea of buying them online. But the other thing you could do in my head is that if you were to go to the website, find an item, add the item to your D&D game, you could then go online and purchase the card so that when the players go and get the item, you can just be like, here you go. Yeah, that's useful for tracking inventory as well. If you have these items as a common thing, you can have the cards. And if you're really cost efficient, you can even print pictures of the cards. Touche. Even more so, you just hold the paper up to the screen and then copy it down and, and hand draw it so that you're not wasting printer ink, which is like $50 a cartridge. I just want to go ahead and implore the listeners to head over to the forums, join these conversations, grab some of the pictures that haven't been written about yet. And to do that, you just head over to dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net and try some gymnastics so your players don't ask, do you even lift? I gotta get a pump. That's it. good. It hurts. I know it does. That's it. Get it. Well, thanks, everybody, for your participation in the DMnastics on our forums. If you want to continue to get more involved on the forums there, the DMnastics is a perfect place to do that. And you can even look for a shout-out for something that you wrote in about and created yourself. So if you want to get posted on a new episode coming up, head over to the forums at dungeonmastersblock.freeforums.net and get involved in the DMnastics there. But with that, we want to thank you for joining us on this episode where we talked all about timelines, all about creating different eras, even alternate timelines, creating those. Uh, We hope that this brought you a lot of information and a lot of knowledge that you can use as DMs to help create an even better story for your players to be a part of. If you have any sort of timeline that you would like us to look at, or you have a story about different timelines coming together, or you have just a story that might be able to help somebody out or a tip to help people create a better timeline, send those in to us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you there. You can also, if you would be so kind, to head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. We can continue to get more DMs on board with this podcast and help even more people hone in on their craft and become even better at being a dungeon master. So head over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. You'll even get a shout-out on a future episode. So do that. We are also on Stitcher, if anybody uses Stitcher who is not an iPhone user. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMs block. 
and you can like our Facebook page. Both of those places will have updates and news about the show and DMing stuff in general. So we want to thank you for joining us on this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we talk about the Dungeon Master, of course, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and floating on the boat out in the middle of a lake. (laughs) We will talk to you guys all soon. Keep on Dungeon Mastering. Chris, let's keep on fishing. Oh, yeah. Goodbye.